ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Cheats Movement on the Family Podcast Network. On this episode today, we are continuing our education series about Richmond Public Schools and public education. Today's guest is Dr. Shade Harris. Dr. Harris is the Director of Community Engagement for Richmond Public Schools. I know what you're asking. I asked it myself. What exactly is the Director of Community Engagement? What does that role entail? Where you're going to hear firsthand from Dr. Harris about her job, her short-term goals, her long-term goals, her day-to-day operations. It really is truly fascinating, and it's an exciting interview. It's coming up right here on the Cheats Movement Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cheats Movement Podcast. We are hosted by our wonderful host, the VPM ICA Media Center. And this show is being recorded in that media center on the second floor of the ICA. Please, please take a moment to visit. We want to thank our wonderful, wonderful resource partners, the ICA and VPM for what they do. I'm not going to beat around the bush, ladies and gentlemen. I am very, very excited. We have had a wonderful education series that is centered around Richmond Public Schools. We've had some absolutely fantastic guests to date, and it will continue. It will continue right now. We're welcoming into the program Dr. Shade Harris. Dr. Harris is the Chief Engagement Officer for Richmond Public Schools. Dr. Harris, welcome to the Cheats Movement. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. I'm going to start with what I think is the easiest question, but it's probably extremely difficult. Chief Engagement Officer, what is it? What does it mean? What do you do for RPS? Yes, I get that question a lot. Like, it sounds cool, but like, what do you do, right? Exactly. Um, So I, at the center of my role is to build trusting and meaningful relationships with families and community. Like that's at the core of it. Um, And we feel that in order to do that, you actually have to have an effort that is literally dedicated towards engagement. So this role, you're starting to see it pop up more and more across the country, but it kind of speaks to our division's commitment to doing this work alongside family and community. So in my role, the two major kind of like strands are family and community um, engagement and outreach. So really thinking about how are, how do we have a strong presence in the community? Um, How do we build trust in the communities and kind of buffer that trust back to schools and vice versa? Um, And anything we can do to really make sure that we are visible and that we are supporting families, not just with barriers, but really helping families get information and advocate for themselves and their families. The second big bucket is all around um, advocacy, right? Um, And outreach. So all the divisions communication programs and initiatives, um, as well as our legislative policies and advocacy um, is a huge part of our our portfolio. Um, But again, at the core, it's just, how do you have a division that is centered around family and community and the people who are most impacted by the work? And that's really my role is to make sure those most impacted are really leading the work. 
Is this the first time RPS has had a chief engagement officer? It is. It's the first time RPS has had a chief engagement officer. Um, and again, you see these positions, they're coming up more and more, um, but we're really kind of leading the nation in a handful of places that have prioritized family and communication at the level of a chief. So you'll have other divisions that may have like a family and community engagement department or team. Um, but in terms of like having impact, you really need this role at a chief level. Like you have, I, I have to have a seat at the table um, and have direct access to the decision-making and elevating this position to that level has been instrumental in our ability to put engagement at the center of what we do. That's a good point. First time in this role at RPS, early stages of a chief engagement officer across the nation. When you accepted this role, walk in the door day one, what is the first thing you want to do? What is the goal you want to lay out to make sure that this new-ish position is cared for, handled the right way? How do you set the tone? How did you yeah. set the tone? So I think part of that question is like, there's some context and history behind it. So I came to, again, I'm originally from Springfield, Massachusetts. So I'm a New Englander. Don't turn off the podcast, y'all. Um, and, you know, from Springfield, um, strong education background was really um, had the privilege of being around really strong Black educators. I saw my mother, my father, who was a community organizer and has ran the Urban League for over 50 years. So I always had these really strong examples of like leadership. But when I would go to school, I didn't see myself represented in the same way. Um, so at a very um, young age, education was something I was passionate about. I was the one who played school for way too long um, um, in my basement. And I just wanted to be a teacher. And that dream became a reality um, after I graduated from Smith College and um, got my BA in education and child study, went to Harvard, have my master's in learning and teaching, and then um, was a fourth grade teacher. And I loved it, but I saw the inequities like as being one of the only teachers of color in my school. And I wanted to learn more about the systems that were creating that atmosphere. Um, so I went and got my principal license and went back to Springfield Mass to be a principal in my hometown. And again, as a principal saw those same inequities at that level, but at like the systems level. So I got really curious, I'm getting to Richmond y'all. I got really curious and um, I ended up going back to school, back to Harvard um, in their doctoral program for education leadership. And um, it was a full-time program, full fellowship, but your part of your dissertation is to do like a real world um, kind of uh, problem of practice and you can go anywhere in the country. And I came to Richmond and Richmond had this amazing opportunity under Governor McCulloch um, who had created a children's cabinet and there was an initiative called Classrooms Not Courtrooms. And my work as a fellow was to look at Richmond public school policies that were kind of pushing out black and brown students 
um, and really think of creative ways we could work across different sectors, like the state, the community, business, to really support um, young people who were uh, justice involved. So I spent, when I tell you the whole 10 months was literally just in the Richmond community. They called me the lady with the map because I walked around with the map and it had a student going through the school system and the justice system at the same time. And I just talked about how these two systems either work in concert or in conflict with one another. So because my experience with Richmond was one of, um, one of not a deficit based, but of a really, really, really strong asset based approach. Like I learned so much from the community. Um, when I finished, when I graduated, uh, Superintendent Cameras was building his leadership team. He saw my work and asked me to stay on. So when I transitioned into this role, I wanted to take that same experience I had of just like really getting proximate to the people we most aim to serve. And that was the first thing I wanted to do in this role was like, hey, I'm new to Richmond and it's super important for us to really listen to the experiences of our, our families and our community members. And that should be the foundation, not what we bring. So my first goal was really, how does Richmond create a strategic plan? Because we hadn't had one since 2013 that centers around families. And the one question we just asked everybody was, what are your hopes and dreams? And let that really speak to the direction we should go in. And that honestly coming in the door was my number one priority was to create something not to, but with the community that was centered around their hopes and dreams. I thank you for that background because it's important. And I also think that there is possibly misconceptions that when you came in, you were new and you were new, mm -hmm. but you just described 10 months of working on the ground with RPS parents in the community and seeing these systems, which I think is vital for everyone to understand. I don't know a lot of folks that have spent 10 months prior to taking the job, doing the type of work on a macro level and micro level with RPS parents, educators, principals, administrators. And I think that's important context because it does help you set the tone. So you're right in the sense of the question, you, you've been setting the tone since you came to Richmond and then the roles changed in a sense, graduation, full-time employment at RPS and looking at those systems. Is that, am I, am I hitting this correctly? Absolutely, yeah, that <laughs> informed everything. And it also gave me like credibility in a different type of way. Cause I was, you On know, I was at everything. And then um, a lot of our administration um, and the team wasn't from Richmond, right? So even though I was new, um, it gave me a, a scope of the political landscape. But I think the one thing that I stress is a lot of times when people come into urban districts, and this is not a Richmond thing, it's across the country, it's really easy to see the dysfunction right away, right? And I think what was powerful about um, my experience is seeing the light, the resilience, and the assets 
Um, and knowing some of those and coming in with that lens um, was just something that I think really supported um, us moving the work um, and establishing kind of like a new, a new orientation with this administration coming in. Um, so I thank the community one for welcoming me, um, but also for just like letting me learn from them. You, I'm catching a pattern from what you said in regards to your background. You were a teacher, you saw grave inequities, <laughs> went back to school, you became a principal. As a principal, you saw grave inequities. You went back to school. Now you're in administration. Has that always been something about your personality to see a problem where it lies and try to figure out what's the highest level I can fix it at? Um, when you set the pattern, I was thinking, I'm not going back to school. I'm not getting. <laughs> what if it doesn't work this time? What do you so do I don't now? know about pattern, but no, I'm joking. Um, Yes, I think it I think it started like coming from a family of educators, um, education, education, especially for me as a black woman um, growing up in a predominantly black community. Education was about like liberation. Right. So like that was something that was like preached into me as a kid. And I just saw and I was around these powerful conversations. So when you and I think that speaks to the asset base. And um, in the summers, I wanna point out, some of you may be familiar, Camp Atwater. It's one of the oldest owned and operated black camps in the country overnight. And that's where I spent my summers. The Urban League um, reopened Camp Atwater in the eighties, but um, it's been around since 1921. So when I had these rich summer experiences, I had these rich family experiences. It was hard to go into a system that wasn't designed for me and not know that I wasn't great because I had all these messages outside of school that was telling me that I was. So I think that that foundation really um, instilled in me this hunger and this love for education um, that was really about like liberation that has just been a part of my, my personality. And I just, I think that's with me everywhere I go. Um, but I would, I would credit it to my family, my faith, and just really being in um, spaces where I saw people who looked like me um, um, really stress the importance of education, but also um, talk about, you know, how to go through those barriers. And I wanted to be one of those people. I wanted to be like an equity warrior. Like that was what I was around. And I was like in high school leading protests and in college leading protests. Um, so that part, that rebel slash just like advocate is yes, a very, a very big part of my personality. Ladies and gentlemen, the voice you are hearing is Dr. Shade Harris. She is the Chief Engagement Officer for Richmond Public Schools. This is our education series. Dr. Harris, walk me through a typical day for you now. What are some of the things that you have to do maybe on a daily basis or does every day, is every day different? What is the daily typical day for the Chief Engagement Officer? So every day at RPS is very different um, and it can start off one way or you think it's going one way and we, we do not have a shortage of surprises or um, crises and um, we, we've made a lot of progress. We know we have a lot to do, but it really varies. Um, 
in terms of a typical day for me is I would think about it in like a couple different buckets. Mm -hmm. um, one of our biggest strands is around just shifting the narrative around attendance to really being about family engagement, right? Mm -hmm. Like we don't want it to be a compliance issue, but really how are we supporting families, eliminating barriers that are preventing them from getting their students to school? Um, and then how, how does the community support the parents and families with barriers that may impede with students getting to school? So one of the first things that we've done, and again, one of the only systems in the nation that actually can quantify our outreach. So we have like an outreach dashboard um, where we can track our number of home visits, phone calls. And right now, it, our office kind of built the system, but really supporting schools with how to use that data and implement it is a key thing that I do. So one day you may see me um, literally at schools modeling for um, school-based administrators and our school-based engagement teams actually how to use these new tools um, to really decrease our chronic absenteeism. And that's like my favorite part. Like I love being in front of um, people um, talking to people about like what's really happening and us kind of workshopping, how do we use these tools to meet their needs? And it's really a school by school question, right? I was going to ask, because yeah, like attendance and truancy, we hear about all the time, but it actually sounds like you're saying the solution is very individual based, if you will. Who has the capacity? Are there systems and things that can be put in place to help change the pattern and change the course, it, 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 it's, a, it's been a problem for inner, not just Richmond public schools, but inner city yeah. schools for a very long time. Absolutely. And then the pandemic has only exacerbated it. Exactly. But that's what some of the tools that we have by having an outreach dashboard, um, by having a real strong structure with how do we, um, one, know who those students are and support them. So instead of doing like just kind of a, um, attendance report, that's now a family success plan where we're co-creating with the family, you know, what are some of the barriers? And then we're connecting them to community resources to support them. But again, that's shifting from like a compliance lens to know this is about actually building relationships with families and getting them the supports that they need or understanding, hey, what we're providing is not what they need. Like we need to change what we're doing. So I would say that has been um, uh, spending my time in schools, modeling and leading for teams um, around that attendance engagement work is a huge part of what I do. Um, and then also as a chief or an assistant superintendent, um, part of our work is just creating strong structures. So there's a chunk of time where I am meeting and leading with directors across the whole division um, to support them in some of our key initiatives as a school around um, academic learning, uh, family satisfaction, all of these things. And then I would say the third bucket is you can just catch me in the community. Um, I, you won't find me in city hall. You'll find me, um, doing community walks in the neighborhoods, um, you know, having meetings, attending community meetings, um, holding things with partners and getting to know new partners. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the community. When we talk about goals, long-term and short-term for this role, this in, this new form of engagement. You mentioned one already in regards to attendance 
and having even the narrative change of supporting families. I'm a social worker by trade, so I hear, well, by trade is the wrong word. <laughs> I got a social work degree. <laughs> so I say there's a there's a term we use in social work often blaming the victim yeah and it seems as if what you're even saying about attendance is shifting the narrative from blaming the family mm-hmm. for the kid not going to school or not being in school to supporting the family of how we can get a child in school Absolutely. What are some of your short-term goals in this role? And then expand it out. You'd also mentioned strategic plan early on. What's some of the long-term goals? If if this role is successful, what will we be seeing in the short-term and the long-term for RPS? Absolutely. So um, one of the key dimensions to engagement has to be that it's linked to learning. And that's one of the common misconceptions about family and community engagement. But one of the key dimensions is that it's linked to learning. And another one is that it promotes advocacy. So um, as you think about linked to learning, promotes advocacy, and the one that everyone hates when I say it because it's hard, shares power. Like it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to really have a what, What does that mean? shares power. Mm -hmm. That means that this work is not top down, right? Like where um, the power lies in the community. It lies with our families, right? So if we're the only ones holding the power, the school board, um, the administration, my role, we're we're not sharing that if we're the only ones making decision. When we have families who speak out at school board, who are advocating, who are pushing back, you know, that's informing what we're doing. And that's also shifting the power because that's who we serve. So when you think about those those three dimensions and you talk about success, linked to learning is we're not doing our role if we don't see our, we, we see more Richmond Public Schools accredited, right? if we don't see an increase in our graduation rate. Those are things that we are looking to see immediate progress on, both short-term and long-term, because this work is linked to learning. And if we're doing it correctly, we should see those, um, we should see those improvements. Same thing with uh, attendance, is decreasing that chronic absenteeism. In January, it was like right after Omicron, I say it wrong all the time, Omicron. <laughs> um, we were at our highest. It was like 36.7% chronic absenteeism, like mm-hmm. which is the highest we've probably ever been. Um, introducing new systems, meeting with schools individually, modeling, providing a new level of structure and shifting to an engagement approach. Literally in about two and a half months, January, February, March, when we did our spring update, we had reduced chronic absenteeism by over 10%. And when you talk to principals, the one thing that they said was, you know, that shift around having the clarity around structure, but how we were engaging with our families 
um, not calling saying, hey, you missed 13 days, don't make it 14. Mm -hmm. But, you know, building the relationship with them to find out what was happening, that was the game changer. So I think, again, short and long term is you'll see that decrease in chronic absenteeism, but you'll also see the increase in trust from our community. And I think that measured by our family satisfaction stories, um, our surveys, excuse me, as well as, you know, hearing from our community more often and then being a part of our process. So those are things like I would love to see both short-term and long-term. You mentioned the word advocacy as a key part of your job. When people hear advocacy, they often think politics. Mm -hmm. They think political advocacy. When I hear you describe it and talk about it, it sounds more like advocating for the community, advocating for parents, advocating for children. How political is your job as it stands right now? Um, education in general is political. And if you've been following just kind of the... the, the we're we're going to get to some of it. Yes. <laughs> we're not going to get to all of it. It's, your this whole is not that, series. Not that, yeah, not that program, but we're going to get yes, to some of it. It's, 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 it's political. Like we can, we can point to several things. So, you know, just by nature being in a senior position in a division, there, there, are politi there are politics that are attached to it. Um, I'm, I think one of the things that sets us apart is often advocacy can be framed as opposition and it gets that rap um, where we see it really as empowerment. And I think it's both, right? It is a big part of our work is making sure we can fight all day, but if we don't change policy, we're not gonna we're not gonna move. So when we talk about advocacy, it is our legislative priorities. It's advocating around the policies that are gonna help us do the day to day work with fidelity um, and integrity. But it also is making sure our families know where to get information and that what we're focusing on actually is meeting their needs. And that shifted with the pandemic, right? Some of the things it exacerbated, but other things um, it really shifted. So without ongoing conversations with families, you know, you can easily focus on the wrong things. Um, and a lot of times people say, well, there's no engagement. And it's like, no, people aren't engaging on the topics you want <laughs> because they're not the right topics, right? Um, so I think advocacy hits like, you know, um, the way we think about it is at the school level, um, as well as at the kind of school board level, right, the governing body, as and then like at the state level in terms of policy. And when we do kind of advocacy trainings, those are kind of the three buckets that we really focus on um, and, and helping people navigate it, but also just listening to to what are the things they feel are most important. You alluded to it, I'm gonna ask you about it. There's a lot of tension in regards to school board administration, school board leadership in regards to what's the best pathway forward for Richmond Public Schools. You're, you're meeting with community members, you're meeting with parents, you're meeting with principals, you're hearing every description from every direction but you also are in the center one of the people in the center of what seems to be um just a heated 
<laughs> difference of philosophy or difference of opinion. When these things happen, when there seems to be miscommunication may not be the right word, but difference of direction, how personally are you able to, to analyze these things and dissect them? And is it a personal thing or is it, this is what we think is the best thing to do. This is what members of the school board or members of the administration think it's the best way to do. This is why our plan is. It seems as if, especially in the recent weeks and months, it's, it's just a high tension atmosphere. When you're going into those situations, you know they're going to be tough, but is it, is it a personal thing or is it really a difference of philosophy, direction, what we think is best for RPS? Absolutely. Great question. Um, I think it, it, it starts with, I really do believe that given, and like we said, right, like the political nature of, of, of the work um, and the complex issues we're dealing with, oftentimes there seems like there's no good path right? Like it really becomes a conversation about which way may cause the least damage, right? Or which way, if students are really like first, like what, what is the way we achieve that? And, you know, there's just so many different paths that you can kind of take towards success or a path forward. And I think it's really natural that you're going to have like difference of opinions, right? Um, and, and, that, and that's gonna happen. And I think in Richmond, and this is like a policy thing, when you have boards that turn over at the same time, you're constantly reacclimating a new group of people every, every, you know, couple of years, sure. which is why some people have adopted staggered terms. So there's still like some consistency, but when you bring in, you know, personalities, right. <laughs> you know, really highly sensitive topics and an urgency given that, you know, this work is urgent to so many of us. And I feel people feel deeply about the work you're going to have difference of opinions. And a lot of times these conversations stem from, again, you know, not necessarily agreeing on like the goal, but just like what's, what's the fastest way or the best path to get us there. And I think when you know that and you know you're doing really good work, um, it's easy not to take it personally um, <laughs> when you're in the midst of it sure. because, sure. you know, I have the luxury, honestly, of being on the ground and seeing the amazing changes since I got here in 2018 and where we are now. So you can't tell me that, you know, Superintendent Camrys isn't one of the strongest leaders and equity warriors that I know because I see it every day, right? Mm -hmm. I think one of the things we have to do a better job of is, you know, telling that story um, and, and, and making sure that, you know, people really understand what's happening um, because, you know, we don't always get the best coverage or the stories, right? Um, some of the things that people hear are the things that are more um, um, sensationalized and not about our amazing teacher of the year 
or how we've improved graduation rates. Um, all of those things are we decreased chronic absenteeism during like a pandemic. Um, so we have to do a better job of, of, of making sure that we, we share those positive stories and those get just as much as notoriety as, you know, the fires and all of that. I think it's impossible, right? I think, yeah. I think it's impossible. Not hear me out because we see this in society all the time. You could have 10 positive stories. Yeah. What are they going to talk about? They're going to talk about the two negative stories. The two negative yeah. stories will go viral. I work, work in politics for a very long time. That's why people still do negative ads, right? Yeah. If, if positive messaging got the same traction and momentum as negative yeah. ads, people wouldn't run negative ads, right? Yeah. Knowing that's the playing field that you're going into, how do you go about sharing stories, messaging, with the understanding that it's probably not going to be picked up from the paper on record. It's probably not going to be picked up in the local news unless it's something astronomical. Yeah. But those daily stories of success. How do you communicate those with family members, community, parents, so they know there is progress being here and it's not all about the five things that we, we hear that are clashing at, at a meeting. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. Like I'm, I, I agree. Like the negative is more juicier, right? And like, we've all experienced gravitating towards that. Like sure. we know that, but what I'll tell you, when I first started, the, the amount we were even sharing was very minimal about the good stories. Sure. So I, in the past month, you know, we've, we've had strong stories in a short amount of time, just because of the volume that we're pitching Right. And that we have more people pitching than just like one person who's in charge of media. Right. Now we have families pitching. We have teachers pitching. We have our team working on it. So I think when people are invested about telling a new narrative, it helps. And then the frequency and the pressure we're putting on the media has also helped in those relationships. Again, I know I'm not going to get top billing if something happens, but at the same time, um, of continuing to to push and have really good content that we're sharing and having an office amazing um new assistant director of advocacy and outreach sarah um has really helped us with the structures of how do we continue to get that word out there but i'll be honest with you like our kids too are just when it's when they're leading the work to, we see a shift in coverage and I think the more we can get students involved, student advocates, um, I think that is also something we can do a better job of. But I find that also changes the narrative when our students are out here actually like, you know, leading. Last question on this, because you mentioned the continuity is the word I think you were looking for. When you have a lot of turnover, you have new superintendents, you have new school board members, it's very hard to get started. You never, a lot of, a lot of administrations, a lot of places around the country have the ability to say, let me try this, see if it works for two and a half years. Yeah. And then if it doesn't work, we can change the plan. The challenge with not having a lot of continuity is it always feels like you're starting. It always yeah. feels like 
new school board comes in, new administration comes in, new, new team comes in. They always want to do something new. Have you felt RPS has had the ability to try to implement some of the things administratively to get the ball rolling and start to make real fair assessments? I think it's been difficult um, primarily because of the pandemic, right? right. Um, I think we um, were seeing some traction um, for the first time in a long time, seeing an uh, increase in our graduation rates and then a pandemic, right? And I still don't think people understand um, the impact that that has had on our students. And I will say, not just from a loss perspective, because I think our students gained a lot during the pandemic too. Um, as we talk about family engagement, um, there, there's a lot of assets that happen. So I try to stay away from like learning loss during the pandemic because I'm like, look, you know, being in the homes, being with our families, our students gained a lot. Our teachers really gained a stronger sense of how important those family relationships are. So there, there was some gain too, but in terms of the, the academic gaps that were widened um, because, of, because of the pandemic and post-pandemic, um, it's been hard for that consistency. So we're just now starting to you know, get our footing. And we were, we were virtual for the entire year. Right. So just starting to almost rebuild. And if we could get a full year, a full year, just give me one full year <laughs> of some consistency. Um, we're going in the right direction, but I will be honest, like it's really been hard. Um, it's RPS did not happen and come to where we are right now overnight, not even in three to five years. Mm -hmm. So being able to have significant time to work on these systemic issues um, is, is, is necessary in order for us to see traction. And it's almost like we're starting over again. Good, you know, we have some foundational pieces there, um, but we, we really do need consistency over the next couple of years. What's good, everyone? It's Cheats here with the Cheats Movement Podcast. I am asking for a favor, a big favor. I want all of you to go to the Family Podcast Network. That's thefamilypn.com. Please subscribe. We have a cadre of shows, 13 shows and growing, that are under the umbrella of the Family Podcast Network. Everything from sports to craft beer to meditation to even the Richmond Kickers. We have some amazing podcasts. Please subscribe to the network. Follow these amazing shows, and the show will continue right now. Dr. Harris, I'm going to do something that all hosts do, and it's really unfair. I'm going to ask you rapid-fire questions. Okay. Gonna, but they're not going to be – they're going to be difficult. Of course. <laughs> they're of gonna, course. They're, they're not rapid-fire answers, but I'm going to call it a rapid-fire <laughs> section. Okay. And ask these. You would mentioned going through your education and not seeing a lot of educators that look like you. It is very public that we have a challenge or shortage in this country with black male teachers mm -hmm. from primary school to high school. How do we increase? How, how do we get more black male teachers? Um, one of the things that we're doing is and um, Rodney Robinson, who I know has um, He's been on the podcast, on the episode program, one. Yep. friend of the program, you know, ha having creating a position that literally is dedicated to recruiting 
um, men of color. But again, like that's that's showing like, yeah, if you want this, you have to have a position dedicated to it. Um, and we have to have a strategy on how we can not just recruit, but how do you grow, right? Like starting from kindergarten, how is education seem as a p- profession um, that is, is one that we, we see pride in and wanna go into um, as, as young black and brown people. But I think one of the first steps is creating a dedicated effort and a strong person such as Rodney who can leverage community members, um, to really grow our own, as well as recruit really strong black male teachers, our men of color. Public education is a system. How do you get community members and families to trust the system? Because especially in the black community, trusting the system is not something we sign up for. Yeah. But your job is to get engagement, advocacy, communication. How do you get families to trust the system? So someone once said, the first step in healing is truth. And I think the first way you start to build trust is we as a community, we need to heal from the systems, the the systematic racism that has plagued Richmond, um, that has created, um, you know, De, uh, segregated school systems, like all of that is very much a still legacy of what we're dealing with. And you can't start to build trust until you acknowledge um, our history, what has happened, um, you know, atone for that, and then begin to move forward. But it's really hard to build trust when you haven't acknowledged the impact that um, racist systems, um, as well as structures have had um, on Richmond Public Schools in our community. That's a, that's a good point. How do you do that? I feel like it's an ongoing effort in the last five or so years to be more truthful, acknowledge more of the systematic damage that's happened. But hearing you speak and hearing you say it, is there things specifically that RPS can do that gets you past that trust and truth hump? I, I know this is going to sound really simplistic, but to me, and it starts back to how I started the conversation, it really comes down to listening. Like we often move so fast. Um, When I was here those 10 months, like the biggest thing I did was just listen to people, like honestly listen to people. And there were so many people who had said, like when 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 we asked, you know, what are your hopes and dreams? Who were just like, no one's ever asked me that before, right? So when those actions, really start to line up. I think people's belief systems around the division, around education, around RPS will start to shift, right? Sometimes people believe the belief has to come first and then they'll act. Um, But sometimes they just need to see your actions to know that you're serious, that, oh no, he really did listen and go to 172 meetings before they put together a plan for the division. You know, those actions are gonna slowly um, build trust. But again, to our other point, we need a consistent time to do that, right? You can't do that in six months. Like that has to happen over a period of time. Um, and I think that is, is just the first step is listening to our communities, really listening, listening with generosity. Dr. Harris, this has been fantastic. This is really the last set of questions <laughs> and it's going to be, we're going to end on a high note Okay. in the sense of, uh, in, on, on a fun note, if you will. 
if you were not doing this job, if you were not working in education, what would you be doing? Mm, I would be, I think I would be running my own, no, I would be a college professor. No, not education. Oh, okay. I would be running my own nonprofit in, I don't know where, but I would be running a nonprofit that focused on building um, strong community advocates. Oh, geez. And- this, is, this, is, this, is hard to, <laughs> this is hard to buy into already. Go ahead. Go I don't ahead. know. I don't know. That's a really good one. I haven't been stumped. I don't. I, I, would, I, would, so. I, would, I would, I would, I would be writing. Here we go. It's okay. Here we go. Here we go. I would be a writer. I like it. I would be a writer and I would uh, be traveling um, the country speaking um, about <laughs> issues of. I was going to say, if you say advocacy, I'm in I know. <laughs> I would be speaking about issues of uh diversity racial i'm back i can't get away you're back you're back i'm back best place you've ever best place you've ever been on vacation um barbados nice nice Mm -hmm. what is in your playlist right now right now um is pusher t which he just released the album right uh listen to the Kendrick Lamar song like 800 times since it's been mm-hmm. released and um Nas Illmatic okay okay as we establish have some time in Richmond now when you're in Richmond what are typical fun time for you in Richmond what would you where are you where do you like to enjoy now, don't, don't give me the, the look, don't don't I give know. me your secret spots, but okay, what are right. some of the types of things in Richmond well, see, that you this has changed because I'm like seven and a half months pregnant and right, right. I was pregnant a year and a half ago. So exciting. Um my my spots have changed. So uh <laughs> pre-baby, you could find me on someone's Richmond rooftop. There's some okay. good ones in the city mm-hmm. yep. relaxing. Um post one year old. Um, you can find me in a park, <laughs> right, right? Sitting on a bench in our beautiful parks, watching my son play while I'm listening to music. Last and question: Best thing about being a mom? Best thing about being a mom is being able to raise an amazing young man who loves their mother and will take care of oh, them for the rest of their, their lives and never leave me. <laughs> I saw, I saw, um, I saw the best joke the other day and it was, uh, it was like a tweet or an Instagram post. And there was a woman that said, I tell my, my significant other, I, I, I love him every day. I tell him, I love him every day. He never says it back. He always seems interested and I just don't know what to do. <laughs> then she wrote, mind you, I'm 35, he's two. <laughs> so, Dr. Harris, thank you for the time. I really appreciate thank it. You. We'll definitely have you back as Please. we track the process, the progress, excuse me, of RPS and the important work that you're doing in regards to engaging families, engaging community, and advocating for 
what you think is the best direction of RPS. So thank you, Dr. Harris, for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cheats Movement. We will be right back after this. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank Dr. Harris for an amazing conversation. If you like this episode, please go back, listen to all the episodes in the education series. We have wonderful guests. Teacher of the Year, Rodney Robinson, former Richmond Times Dispatch reporter, Kenya Hunter, several members of the Richmond School Board, and now Dr. Harris. Please check all of them out. Please leave a comment, subscribe, let me know what you think. It's been a pleasure to present this series to you, and it'll continue throughout the rest of the year. So until next time, we see it. Yeah. Yo, yo, I'm trying to play living. Right. See you at the end, bro.